thank you for being here. Uh, we don't take anybody's presence lightly. Uh, that really means a lot. Um, I'm going to jump right into our message today. Uh, so if you would join me, Matthew chapter 7. Uh, we are whipping through this book of Matthew at a record pace. We just started in January of 19. And uh, <laughs> here we are, January of 20, but we're in chapter 7. Uh, I think we'll have five or six messages out of this chapter today. As you see from your handout, we're going to look at six verses. Uh, so again, we're just picking up. One of the things I love about this style of just going through a book of the Bible is we go where it takes us, right? And so um, hopefully as we do this, the Lord is using it in your life. Uh, would you join me? I'm going to read verses 1 through 6. You see our topic already. I would encourage you. I have a Bible, maybe on your phone or tablet, uh, paper and leather like mine. I keep that in front of you because we'll have it on the screen pretty much once, and then we'll be referring back to it throughout. So verse number one, Jesus says, as we're getting toward the end of the Sermon on the Mount, I really one of the most famous verses in all of Scripture. <laughs> uh, this verse probably used more than John 3.16 Unfortunately, used by a lot of people that don't know how to use this verse, right? So look at verse 1. Jesus says, judge not that you be not judged. Let's read that again. Judge not, our Lord says to us, judge not, judge not. Why? That you be not judged. It isn't that your judgment on someone else is going to actually affect their eternal life. But don't judge, judge not, that you be not judged. Can I real quickly insert here a couple of ways that this is misused and what this doesn't mean? This doesn't mean that if we take a live and let live, like let people live however they want, anything goes, doesn't amount, matter about sin, if we'll just have a super tolerant attitude toward them, it doesn't mean that when we stand before the Lord, God's going to say, you know what? were so tolerant toward them and all of their sin, I'm going to let all of your sin slide. That is not what verse 1 means. Nor does it mean this, how a lot of people use verse 1, here's what they'll, and this is people who know like nothing about the Bible, they know pretty much these first two words, doesn't the Bible say judge not? And here's what they'll mean. What they're trying to say is that one doctrinal belief system is as good as another. Judge not. So this one believes that, and that one believes that, and this one. You can't judge or one lifestyle is just as good as another. If it were only us that were judging, that may be true. Here's the problem. In the eyes of God, one belief system and one lifestyle is not as good as another. And when we are connecting our thoughts to the word of God, we have the words of God now, I can't judge, but I can read the Bible, and when I've rightly interpreted it, then I, even I can interpret that is not a good, as good of a belief system as this one is, or that kind of life is not the one I want to live as much as that person's kind of life. I want to emulate that. That is a better life. I can figure that out when I'm on the safe ground of the Scripture, and so hopefully that will be one of the dominant messages that comes through. So we don't want to misinterpret this. Let's read it again, verse 1. Judge not that you be not judged. For 
with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. The text actually doesn't tell us who is going to do this judging. It doesn't say necessarily that the world is going to judge you that way, though that is actually pretty true. Nor is it specifying that God is actually going to be the one that judges according to verse number 2. I actually think both are true. What Jesus is saying, look at verse 2 again. For with the judgment you pronounce, you'll be judged. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. If you measure out huge doses and scoops of judgment on other people and harshness and condemnation, well, then the world is going to notice you as that kind of person. And when you mess up, they're going to point it out on you too. You've earned it. And the same thing with God. You were harsh with other people. I will hold you by a strict measure as well. And then we have this verse 3, 4, and 5 that most of us have heard. But read it fresh this morning. Really get this picture. just kind of uh, outlandish, to be honest. Jesus says, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Why do you notice the speck in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log in your own eye? Or, how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is the log in your own eye? Hey, excuse me, you got something? Can I help you? Dude, what are, what are you, you need to get away from here. You need to back up. No, you've got something. No, you've got something in your eye. Jesus is like, how can you possibly do that? Verse 5, you hypocrite. First, uh-oh, here we go. This is going to come, we're going to end up in maybe an unusual way as we're going through the message. You're going to think, well, that's not how I thought we would end, but we need to be, do right by this whole text. You hypocrite. First, Take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. And if that wasn't confusing enough and didn't take us in a cycle enough, verse 6 finishes totally how we wouldn't think. You'd almost think this doesn't go with verses 1 through 5, but God inspired it to directly follow. Look. Do not give dogs what is holy. He's not talking about actual dogs. He's talking about spiritual dogs. He's telling his followers, do not give dogs what is holy. And do not throw your pearls, spiritual pearls, before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Don't give them the holy things. Don't give them the pearls, lest they turn, first of all, trample them underfoot and then turn to attack you because of it. So don't do that. And that's a very hard verse to, one, interpret, and two, to know how to live, live out in our life. I want to notice two things today, all right? Two thoughts. The second one, I'll go ahead and warn you, has several layers to it. Uh, the first one's kind of straightforward. We're going to look at verses 3, 4, 5 with an unusual illustration. I actually was going to call this an absurd illustration. It's kind of a grotesque, outlandish illustration if you really think about it. Verse 3, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? All right, 
Let's just real quickly say what these words literally mean, and then let's talk about what they may represent, all right? So we have specks and logs, specks and logs. The speck, now follow me, this speck, actually the word means something uh, like a splinter in the eye. It's kind of like, it's, it's more than dust. It's not like a piece of dust got in the eye. It's like if you've ever had an eyelash, it's at least something that significant or probably a little bit larger. Here's the point, all right? This speck is significant. You've seen a speck in someone else's eye, their life. It's not insignificant. It is significant. This word for log, though, it means like a massive piece of timber. I've taught this before in a, in a smaller, shorter way, and I literally brought, and I thought about doing it, but I just didn't. I, I thought about bringing one of these eight or ten foot two-by-fours and just kind of holding it up and swinging it over on some poor unsuspecting souls over the first three or four rows that would kind of get a little nervous, but I thought that my arm could give way. We might get someone hurt, didn't want to do. This is like... This is just the craziest illustration. That's, that's grotesque to picture a beam, like a massive piece. Two by four is not what we're talking about. We're talking about something that could not, not possibly go in the head, much less in the eye, but that's the analogy Christ uses. So now what do these mean? I want to hit it quickly, but I don't want to hit it. The speck clearly represents real sin in the other person. We've spotted real sin in the other person's eye. It is not insignificant. It is real sin. There's a speck in their eye. The log, though, we know that it is much more significant. So what does it stand for? I'm going to throw four out to you. The first one is not in your handout. The second two that I'm going to mention, they're going to sound extremely similar, very subtle difference. And then the third I'm going to offer to you. What is this log? Okay. Obviously, the log could be a worse sin. So you spot sin in someone's life. They have a speck in their life. It is significant. This is not insignificant, but you have a worse sin in your life as you're pointing out and noticing their sin. So there's worse sin. Watch this. Maybe the log, though, also means, you ready? The same sin. We see a speck in someone's eye in their life. It is an actual sin and we notice it, and we actually point it out, but all the while, we have the same sin. And the reason the Lord calls it a log in our life is because we knew enough to spot it in their life, and we pass judgment on that sin in their life, and it's as though the Lord says, because you knew to pass judgment on it, it is a log in your eye. Or, here's the subtle difference, it could be a worse sin, it's the same sin, or it's the same sin to a greater degree in your own life. Let me illustrate this a couple of ways. I'm going to have several times today, this passage just lends, uh, it's, it's actually going to sound a little bit like a Jeff Bartlett confessional time here this morning. Uh, I'm looking at most people in here, you drive, right? And if you've driven much the last couple of years, this has happened to you. You're red light and you've been waiting and the light turns green and the car in front of you or the one in front of them is slow moving, right? And I mean like really slow. I don't mean like 1,001, dude, let's go. I've got to get to work. Clock's ticking. I mean like 1,001, 1,002, 1,003, 1,000. I mean right as you're about to hit the horn, 
to tell the person in front of you to hit their horn because the person in front of them is holding everything up. And right before you do that, you look through two sets of windshields, and sure enough, here's what you see. You see a look up and a toss over, and then they skirt through, right? And they skirt through, and then the one in front of you barely gets through, and you're sitting there for a whole other cycle, and you're just... You texters, you crazy, oh, that's, oh, they're so inconsistent. And we get all flustered. But since you're going to be sitting through a whole another cycle of the lights, there was a ding on your phone, and raise your hand if you've ever had someone in front of you hold you up because they were texting. Raise your hand. Raise your hand if you have ever been the one that held the light up because you were texting. We're not talking about texting and driving. We're talking about safely at the red light. That's a whole other thing. Yeah, the Lord has a word for that. It's in verse 5. It's the second word. That's what we are. Hypocrites. <sighs> On a more serious note, this happens all the time. This is happening all around the country today. Parents, Christian teachers, Christian preachers are admonishing and encouraging and training their young people to live pure holy lives sexually while they're living in adultery. It is happening today. I didn't tell Deanna I'm going to say this. It ain't really, I'm not, anyway, it's not a big deal now. <laughs> when we were in Bible college, right, um, Joey turned us in. I saw Joey seeing us. Uh, Joey turned Deanna and I in. We were dating and we were kissing in Bible college in the founder's building. Real dumb. I think her dad even said to Deanna, if you're going to do that, you need to go to your sister's house. Uh, but sure enough, Joey turned us in, and we got called into the dean's office, and we got 50 demerits and a stern talking to and some warnings, calls to the parents and what's going to happen if this all happens again. Guys, listen, we shouldn't have been doing that. We knew the rules. It was against the rules. It's not right. We were, we were um, playing to the flesh and playing up to the flesh and getting ourselves in trouble. We were in the wrong, right? But here's what's sad. Joey got expelled a little later for fornication. He turned us in for kissing. He gets kicked out for fornication. I want to ask you this morning. Is there anyone in your life, let's evaluate ourselves, that we catch ourselves regularly being harder on them, but the reality is that what they do or what the things they don't do have a, an equivalent in our own life. We don't do those same things or we do those same things that they do. And it just irritates us in them. But if we would stop and look in the mirror, it would be like, yeah, I've got the same sin. Because I cast judgment on them, it is a log in me because I am proving by my judgment I know better. Write this down. Perhaps, fourthly, the log may represent the spiritual sin of pride. Please understand this morning, pride is not a small sin. Grace view, pride is not a small sin. Pride is a less visible sin. Pride is something that allows us to not see ourselves. It hinders us from seeing ourselves. It, it keeps us from acknowledging our own sin. But the crazy thing about pride, it will enable us to nitpick, watch this, the externals of everyone else while keeping us blind to the fact that we have like little love for God and it's been months and months and months since the grace of God has moved us to the point of tears. But boy, we can spot the externals in other people and we're ready to roast them, ready to point it out. And even if we don't say it, we're internally looking down at them. Instead of when we see sin in their life, 
it did not cause sorrow. It caused arrogance and superiority. And I'm up here and I'm looking down at you. The Lord says, get the log out of your eye and stop worrying so much about the speck that is in there. But there's this external. But you are filled with pride, you hypocrite. Bartlett, stop doing that. Maybe I'm not the only one. I know this. I'm sorry to be crude, but I hope this gets the point across. We're talking about a speck and a log. If someone has something in their nose, right, they need told. If you love them, you'll do it. The closer you are to them, the more you love them, the more likely you will tell them. So listen, if someone has something in their nose, they need told, but a Mount Everest climber who has gobs of mucus frozen to their face does not need to be the one that does it. Can you picture them? You hear their face crackling. Hey, you, what's that you're saying? You, you got something in your, oh, I've got, yeah. That guy doesn't need to be the one that's doing it. Somebody needs to say something, but we got to get our own face fixed before we go worrying about someone else. Number two, I told you there are layers to this. So there's this outlandish, almost absurd, very unusual illustration that the Lord uses. He wants it to be over the top. He wants it to be grotesque to show us, guys, this is literally what we do in our relationships. And this passage is to Christians among Christians. It's not us judging a lost world. It's Christians to Christians. Secondly, let's notice this. Basic principles of judgment that we can pull out of verses 1 through 6. Basic. Now here's where I'm telling there's going to be some layers. I want to give you three. If you were to take this and read 15 times, verses 1 through 6, 15 times, and just sat back and gleaned. What are some lessons, basic overviews about judgment that the Lord is trying to teach us? You would see these three things. I want to go ahead and warn you. The first one, I want to give three other layers underneath this first principle of judgment. Here comes the first one. It is simple, right? Do not view yourself as the judge of other people. That's a large part of the message. So we'll spend a few minutes on that this morning. We read verses 1 through 6. Lord, what are you trying to tell us? Do not view yourself. And everybody listen. I hope no one here this morning is hearing this and you're already thinking, yes, Lord, please use Jeff today. I'm so glad to see it. I hope they're listening today. They really need this message on judgment. Lord, use Jeff to speak to my spouse about this. Um, you missed the whole point. Notice the text. Get the log out of your own eye before you worry about the speck and someone else. We all need to look at this in a first-person perspective. Lord, what are you trying to tell me in it? And I think underneath this principle, we're going to see two others, but this first one is just don't, don't see yourself as the authority. You know some people go through life and they're just, whether they ever say it or not, the whole perspective is, I'm the authority. I mean, I, what do you think? I'm the, I'm the authority. I'm, I'm the judge of what is right and wrong. Three thoughts. Number one, and unfortunately we do this more than we know. Do not judge others by man-made rules. That's not necessarily in the text, but I think it's implied. So would you follow me over one book, Mark chapter 7. Go over to Mark chapter 7. You're going to want to read this. Mark chapter 7. Our first thought under this, just don't view yourself as the judge of other people. Mark chapter 7, I want to read verses 1 through 8. Mark 7, 1 through 8. Here we go. Now when the Pharisees 
gathered to him, Jesus, with some of the scribes, notice, who had come from Jerusalem. Actually, here's what's happening. These scribes and Pharisees have been sent from Jerusalem in the south up to Galilee, around the lake of Galilee, the Sea of Galilee, where Jesus is ministering. They've been sent up there. You know why they've been sent? To find fault. Go study him. Go find some things. Get some information. We don't like this guy. We need to start getting, getting some, some reports and some evidence and some, some, just, uh, some crimes found against this man. Some proof. So verse 1, here comes the scribes and the Pharisees. They come from Jerusalem looking for fault as they come. Well, sure enough, verse 2, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled. That is, unwashed. Did you catch it? Here they're coming. There's Jesus. There's his disciples. And it's like, Break a break one night. Yeah, go ahead, guys. Yeah, yeah we, we got something. Oh, yeah, we got something. What'd you get? Yeah, yeah, some of his disciples eating food with unwashed hands. Saw it firsthand. Great work, fellas. I'm on my way. Verse number three, because Mark is writing to a Roman world that doesn't know all of these things, he actually explains three and four is a commentary. You ready? Look at verse three. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. Listen, this isn't about dirt and germs. It's about washing with the fist a certain way and letting the water run off at the fingers and off at the wrists and off at the fingers. and so Everything had to be done in a meticulous way according to the tradition of the elders. Mark continues, it says, and when they come from the marketplace... Mingling out among Gentiles, they do not eat unless they wash. This is even a more significant, more than the hands. So he's saying they don't eat food unless they wash their hands a certain way, a ceremonial, ceremonial way that fits the tradition of the elders. And then when they go to the marketplace, they kind of bathe themselves before they'll eat. But then it gets more. He says, and there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and of pots, copper vessels, dining couches. And now back to the story. Verse 5. They see it. Verse 5. Here they come. In my mind, I kind of picture they're getting together, got the little clipboard, and the Lord's over here, and the disciples are over there, and Lord, is everything okay? It's fine. Guys, just keep doing that. The fellow's getting ready to come over here, and I'm going to have to talk to him. Oh, okay, you're fine. Keep going. So verse 5, and the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, uh, these are yours, right? Oh, yeah, they're mine. Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but with defiled hands? Are you aware that they have been eating? We saw that one and that one and that Oh, did you really? Yeah. And Christ's answer, I'm reading between the lines, obviously, and he says, well, and they're like, well, what do you have to say about that? And he says, well, I'll tell you what I have to say about it. You guys are in the Bible. Oh, really? Yeah, you guys are in the Bible. Well, what part? Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you, hypocrites? As it is written from Isaiah, here's you guys. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. You guys talk a good game, but your heart is far from God. In vain do they worship me, here's key, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Teaching as doctrines, God said, when it's not God said, it's the commandments of men. Verse 8. Furthermore, now back to Jesus' 
words and not Isaiah's anymore. Jesus says, you leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. So here's the problem. You guys think you have found something on them because they've broken the tradition of the elders. Here's what you need to understand. God inspired and spoke to the prophets to give God's commandments and God's principles. Now watch. The elders, the spiritual leaders in the nation of Israel through the centuries actually took those principles and those commands and tried to write out applications. Like how does that go into the life? And no doubt they made their best effort to make spiritual applications, specific things into the life. The problem is that you guys put the elders' applications of the principles and the commands on the same thing. And when push comes to shove, you discard the command and principles of God and you elevate the traditions above that. You choose that over that. So my guys are not going by the traditions of the elders, but they're still within the grounds and the bounds of the commandment and the principles of God. So I'm not going to hang here long. We do this all the time. I've been guilty of it. We judge people because they don't live up to a standard that we've been taught or that we've grown in that culture. I'm telling you, I'm giving you a slight little baby version of this. Have you ever in your mind, some of you be like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Believe me, this happens. Have you ever passed judgment on someone because they were using a version of the Bible that is not the one that you've been taught is the approved version of the Bible? Have we ever passed judgment on someone for the way their hair looks? Have we ever passed judgment on the way their clothes look? Not just the material, but the cut and the color and the style and the whole of it. We pass judgment on them. Where are we getting this information? Someone has said at some point about hair and dress and music styles of Christian music. And we make I've done this myself. I've literally thought before, God can't use that style of Christian music until he used it in my own life. We do it with holy days and certain drinks and we do it with foods and the list goes on and on. Guys, here's the problem. We can stand and say green shirts are the only godly shirts. We can stand on a Sunday morning with Bible open behind a pulpit on a platform. We can wear a three-piece suit and a tie and a green shirt and say, green shirts are the only godly shirts. But that doesn't make it so. doesn't make it so. So, guys, I want to encourage you. I talked about Bible college a while ago. There were some young guys in, in my Bible college days. This is going to sound crazy. If you had wire rims on your glasses, those were ungodly. Certain kind of hose that ladies would wear underneath their dresses those were ungodly. Certain patterns, certain components like the, the fabric that it is made out of, determinations were stated, those were godly. Here's the only thing I want, I'm going to finish with this. We can have our personal standards. You can have your personal standard all day long, but if you can't back it up in the Word of God, then it is not a doctrine. It needs to be based, to be a doctrine, it needs to have a foundation in the Word of God. So I want to ask you, the next time you're, you're casting judgment on someone for the version of the Bible they're using, what passage of Scripture is in your mind when you're thinking of that? Don't start quoting Dr. So-and-so at such-and-such university. Don't do that. What passage of Scripture? When we're looking at someone's hair and we're passing judgment, what passage of Scripture? When we're looking at someone's dress, there, there are passages of Scripture. Do you know what they are? Do you know them in their context? Are you putting them in the right application? Are we just making choices and passing judgment because someone else 
has said it to us. We're not allowed to do that. Number two, quickly under this, don't judge others by man-made rules and don't judge as though you're innocent. I think that's a big thing. Go back to Matthew chapter 7. Don't judge as though you're innocent. Keep writing. What Jesus despises in this passage is a hypocritical spirit that is very quick to point out sins, lesser sins in other people's lives, all the while ignoring sins in their own life. Illustration. Y'all know this little, uh, it's like 300-yard road right here. So we've got 28 bypass, and out here we have this kind of strange curve of, of Centerville Road, and then we have Charlie Drive comes in right here at this funny angle. From my office where I sit and do most of my work, I can actually see where that Charlie Drive comes into Centerville Road. I don't know. I meant to look. I don't know if I can see the actual stop sign, but I know it is there. Do you know what I have done probably four or five times? I've sat there and counted ten cars and taken a survey. How many cars actually stop at the Charlie Drive stop sign? Usually, you do your own test. If I, if I was a police officer and I hadn't met my quote, I was Barney Fife, I'm telling you, I'd sit in Grace View's parking lot in a little bit of a blind area, and I'd just ride them up all day long. Eight out of ten do not stop. Eight out of ten. I mean, it's the little, you know, it's the old, especially if they're turning right, because you can see while it's coming up. And I'll sit there, and sure enough, there it is, and it's kind of just, oh, here's the problem. I roll through Charlie Drive. Stop sign. Down here at Hunter's Glen, I don't know why I disagree with it. I don't know why it's put up there, but about two years ago, they put up a stop sign. I regularly just kind of slow down and keep on. There is no, I'm telling you, I can see that way. I can see, they don't affect me. All I've got to do is go right around. I roll right through it. I go out and break other laws. Again, not a lot, but I have been known to break other driving laws, just not paying attention. And yet here I am just nailing people in my mind for not coming to a full stop. I want to see those spokes on the wheel come to a complete. You failed. Good for you. What's your name? You actually stopped. You're one of the 20%. You get a button. My judgment shows I know better and I am more guilty. One group I particularly find myself getting frustrated with are those that I think should be further along the road of understanding grace. And this is frankly that group that's in the one I just talked about. They regularly judge people by man-made rules, and I'm going to tell you, it irritates me, and especially if it's a new Christian or a weak Christian, I want to make sure that their judgmentalism and their false doctrine, and, and that's fine, you can have your own standards, but don't go teaching it to these people over here. I want to jump in, and I do want to protect them from that, but here's what I have to remember all the time. Lord, help me remember there was a time in my life when I believed the exact same thing as they do, and I even inwardly if not in private conversation, made the same exact judgments. Lord, remind me that it wasn't until 1994 that I really grew at all in the concept of what grace is. I say 1994 for this reason. I got saved in 1979. It wasn't until 1994 that Charlie went through the book of Galatians probably a little over a year, and it started making sense, and I still have a long way to go in this, and I find myself getting very impatient with those who are impatient with other people, and I want to, like, you should be a veteran Christian. What's wrong with Jeff, hello, wake up. It was 15 years after you got saved before you understood. And that was all in God's timing. The only reason you've learned anything, and Jeff, you still have areas, and no doubt there are other people going, man, if that Bartlett doesn't grow up spiritually, I'm going to nail him. I'm irritating somebody. And some other people are 
dang me, but I've got to remember, all right, God, take a deep breath. You're patient with me. I can't judge them. Don't judge by man-made rules. Don't act like you're innocent. Number three, do, here's a big one. This, I think, is the text. Do not judge with a fault-finding critical spirit. You say, Jeff, that's kind of what you've been saying. Now, hang with me. Have you ever heard of the word censorious? Censoriousness to, means to be severely critical of others. Severely critical of others. There are some of us in the room right now, I guarantee you, that we are severely critical of others. Probably about the fifth time I read this text this week, verse 3 struck me. Will you look at verse 3 with your eyes? I want you to look at it. Really look at it. There is a word there that stood out to me. I want you to see if you find the word. You won't have to go far. Let me read verse 3. There's a word here that I wouldn't have said it that way. Verse 3 says, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? I wouldn't have said it that way. I would have said how he does in verse 4. Anybody know what word that I would change? It's the first word. Look at it. Jesus says, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? If I were to change the word, why do you see, what word would I have put there? What word? How? I would say, hey, well, hey, hold on, but how in the world do you see the speck in their eye? When you have that in your eye, that would be my question. You know what the Lord does? Why do you see? Listen, this is important. You've got to be close to somebody to see the speck in their eye. And all of us are sinners. All of us are sinners. So if you get close to anybody, you are going to see specks and flaws and sins. You're going to see them. I think what is happening here is the Lord is admitting, yes, everybody has sins. Give it time. Get close to them. You will recognize. Eventually, you're going to notice sin. You're going to see specks and flaws. I have many of them. Those who are the closest to me can tell you some of my specks and flaws and sins. They can tell you what those are. But it's as though the Lord says, yes, you are going to see them eventually, but why are you looking? Why are you looking for them? Here it is. Why are you looking for sin in the lives of others? Why are you looking so much closer at their life than you're looking at? You're really evaluating. Have you ever met this person? As soon as you walk up, it's kind of like do a quick scope, hair, clothes, Bible version, this, that, and the other. This is how some people come to church. They come to church with these glasses on like, what can I find that is out of line? I don't agree with that. And, I don't. and they listen to preaching that way. They're, they're causing nitpicking, preaching. I get it. It goes with it. I've done it myself. Right? But the Lord is saying, why are you looking? Why are you looking at them that way? I wonder if he would ask us, do you honestly think you're better I'm sorry, third week in a row I'm going to mention sports. My mind doesn't always go there, but more confession. And I'm not the only one in the room. We'll watch these athletes and we'll critique them, right? We'll criticize. How in the world could you miss that one? 
and will criticize the coaches. I found it very interesting that Tuesday morning, uh, I heard a guy, literally in my short little ride, my four-tenths of a mile ride to, to church, a guy was ready on the call-in show. He was, A, thankful that one of the Clemson offensive coordinators is moving on to, to another job, and he's hoping that the other one uh, gets removed from his position because of Monday night. And I'm thinking, are you serious? <laughs> are you kidding me? Did you totally forget the whole year and last year's championship? Like, like are you, are you serious? He was ready to just like, and we do it with the referees. It's, it's okay to do it with referees, but anyway. <laughs> No, it isn't. Here's the problem. How could you miss that? Oh, you mean where I'm running 17, 18 miles an hour down through there trying to catch a ball that's throwing 60 miles an hour, knowing that a guy over there that weighs about 200 pounds is running at me 17, 18 miles an hour, and he's getting ready to project himself and run his shoulder into my body to knock me to the ground and dislodge the ball? If I catch it, I have no idea how I missed it. But if we were to get on that field and actually try to run a route or catch a 60-mile-an-hour ball or in the box, by the way, the other team has coaches too, right? They have coaches. They're trying to win, and the other team's trying to win. And again, referees with no real excuses for it. No, I remember trying to referee seventh, eighth grade, ninth grade little boys trying to do pickup game. It's slow pace compared to what these poor referees have to put up with. And I just like, here's the thought. What if we actually got off of the couch and onto the field or onto the court? It would be laughable, laughable how many things. Why didn't you call that play? I don't know. The game was going so fast. You had 20 seconds to make up your mind. It's crazy. Listen, serious. We will look at someone who has an addiction and we'll criticize them for their addiction. But if we'll be honest, the thing they're addicted to is a little tempting. Yeah, that is appealing. But I'm not addicted to it, and they're addicted to it. Hang on. You're admitting it's only by God's grace you're not addicted to it. That's our first thought. Second thought out of our text comes out of the first part of verse 5, and it's this thought. We must judge ourselves first. We cannot judge others. We cannot see ourselves set up as the authority, but we must judge ourselves First, look at verse 5. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye. Again, I want to repeat. All of us are sinners. You get close to anybody, you're going to see sin. We all commit sin. We're going to, we're going to see sin in each other's lives. But now continue to look at verse 4 and 5. How can you say, actually back up to verse 3. I want to back up to verse 3 for a moment. What, look in the middle. Look at verse 3 with your eyes. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Here's what I'm learning from this. It's as though the Lord is saying, Jeff, severely critical people are severely critical toward others because they do not recognize their own sin. I want to ask you a question. If we gave you a piece of paper and said, take 60 seconds, write down the five areas of sin that you usually battle the most. Five areas. My sin? I don't know that I really have. Really? Only five? Some of you are like, only five? Top five? Oh, mercy. Wow, well, well, I've got that and that and that. Do you know some people would really struggle? They're very critical toward other people, but they never notice themselves. They're completely blind to themselves. Why is that? Let's get practical. You've never seen the top of your head. You've never seen the back of your head. You've never seen your earlobes. You've never seen your teeth in your mouth. 
You say, well, sure I have. No, you haven't. You've seen a reflection of them or an image of them. You've never seen this area here, nor have I. We've never seen our teeth. We need help. I can see your teeth. I can see your earlobes. I can't see my own. What I want to propose to you is that when we catch ourselves being severely critical, there is a cure, and I think this is the cure. It is twofold. Watch. If we will spend regular, repeated time in front of what the Bible calls itself in the book of James a mirror, it is the spiritual mirror of the Word of God. We will see ourselves in the Word of God. If you don't spend time in the Word of God, then you're probably not going to know your own sin. But then you're not done there. Spend regular time in front of the Word of God and then close it or leave it open. And then you spend regular time in prayer and allow the Holy Spirit, Lord, I am really judgmental toward their thoughts. I think I know their thoughts. I'm judging their words. Lord, I'm judging their motives. I can't truly see their motives. I'm just... So, Lord, I need you to reveal. Let's talk about my thoughts, my motives. What about my attitude? What about my eyes, my ears? What about my mouth? And if all of a sudden we will start just letting the, the Holy Spirit do some deep, deep self-evaluation, all of a sudden we can't see ourselves. And I'll tell you what will happen. You do those two things, you will start seeing your own sin. And when you do, it needs to be handled God's way. Our sin we give ourselves the benefit of the doubt, but we need to see our sin. And when we do, we have to handle it God's way. I want to share an illustration. I don't know if you'll get it or not. The story is told of a father. This is a long note. I'm going to give you a moment to write that very quickly because I want you to get this illustration. Once our sin has been revealed then we need to deal with it God's way. This really strikes home in light of some of the things that are happening in Australia. The story is told of a father and his daughter. They were on the Canadian prairie. And they see a prairie fire in the distance. And him knowing a little about it and realizing, he realized they would be engulfed unless they took the one way of escape. A prairie fire and it is moving quickly. It's in the distance, but it's headed their way. It's headed every way. It's coming. You say, well, I know the one way of escape. It's called code run for your lives. No. He knows they wouldn't be able to outrun it. Do you know what he did? They quickly began a fire of their own right where they were. The goal was to burn a large patch of grass, start this fire and let it burn outward and then get in it. And as it goes all this direction and that fire's coming and eventually those will meet. And so he burned a large patch of grass. And so when the larger fire came, they would stand in the section, listen carefully, already burned. Sure enough, as the fire approached, his little daughter was terrified of the raging flames, scared to death. But her father kept assuring her, honey, listen, the flames can't touch us. We are standing where the fire has already been. 
We're standing where the fire has already been. You're hearing that? You say, okay, Jeff, it sounds like a great little story. If I'm ever in a prairie fire, I'll try to remember to start my own. What's the point? God will judge sin. All sin must be judged by God. Listen, it is sure, it is certain, it is terrifying, it is coming. Listen, the judgment of God far worse than the prayer fire that we would burn in physically and die. It is coming, but here's the good news. A person who puts their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ is always spared from the wrath of God against their sin. We will never, only a Christian, that is a Christian. A Christian is the one who's put their faith and trust in Jesus to keep them from, God has to punish sin. You say, I don't understand. What's the point? How do these people escape? It's the whole point. God's wrath will be poured, poured out on sin, but the Christian is secure because they're what the Bible says we are in Christ. You say, what's the significance of being in Christ? In Christ is where the wrath of God has already been poured out. God's wrath against my sins already been poured out on him, and so I need to get in him, and so when the great white throne judgment comes, I'm protected. I'm standing where the fire's already been. I'm in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jeff, what does that have to do with not being judgmental? Listen carefully. I believe that a Christian who struggles with being critical, if we will spend regular time in front of the Word of God and see ourselves as we really are, let the Holy Spirit evaluate us and we confess our sins. There's something about 1 John 1, 9. If we, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's something about 1 John 1, 9. It is not only effective, it is very humbling. The more I find myself, God, there I go again. My thoughts, my negligence, my neglectfulness, my lack of love, Lord, pride, my unbelief. I did this. I didn't say that when I should have. If I'm doing that, how can I possibly be fault-finding and critical toward you? You can't. Number three. Principles. Number one, don't see yourself as the judge of others. Number two, we've got to judge ourselves first. And that word first is key because of number three. Discernment of others is actually necessary. This is going to be a strange ending to our message. Discernment of others is necessary. You say, where are you getting this? Look at verse 5 and 6. Look at verse 5. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give to dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Discerning other people's lives and sin in other people's lives is actually very, very necessary. The message today is don't ever acknowledge or notice sin in anyone else's lives. The message is don't see yourself as the authority to be judgmental. The message is to evaluate and judge your own life first. And the message is to discern sin. It is broken down in two ways. I want to look at verse 6 first. Write this down. Discerning our enemies. Discerning our enemies. Did you notice verse 6? It, doesn't it? It looks like it's totally undoing the whole message. Lord, you just talked about all this not being judgmental. And then verse 6 just undoes everything. No. 
Look over at verse 15 and 16. It's not on the screen. Look over at verse 15 and 16. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them. You will recognize them by their fruits. What's the text saying? Grace view. Christians are supposed to be able to recognize the difference. There's a difference between blue and green. They're close, but there is a difference between blue and green. There is a difference between spiritual sheep and spiritual dogs and spiritual pigs, and the Lord is saying you need to know the difference between them. How will you know? You're going to actually look and discern, and you will see some things. We're actually called to do this. So, Jeff, looking at verse 6, recognizing and discerning our enemies, do not give dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs. Is this talking about unsaved people? I want to be clear here. This is talking about some unsaved people, but this is not talking about all unsaved people. This is talking about spiritual dogs and spiritual pigs, dogs and hogs. What is it? These are the enemies of the gospel. This is not all unsaved. If this is all unsaved people, then we will never share the gospel with anyone, and we will be the last generation of Christians if we were to take this to heart. By the way, this is a hard verse to interpret. It's a hard verse to instill in our lives and it needs to be done under the guidance of the Holy Spirit but I want to tackle it for a few moments what are these dogs western dogs I'm sorry eastern dogs of their day are not like our nice little domesticated pets they roamed around wildly they were mongrels they were scavengers they were ferocious they would attack you they're just looking for something to eat we the Lord is saying listen you need to be aware of people who are spiritual dogs who are looking to harm the sheep of God, to harm the church of God. They want to split and divide. This is what dogs do. They split and divide and then they pick on the weak and this is what spiritual dogs want to do. They want to harm the body of Christ and they never come in with a sign. Hey, what's that on your neck? Good to have you this morning. What's that on? Oh, yeah, I'm a spiritual dog. I'm here. I'm looking for a church to split and I don't know if maybe yours is the one. Oh, well, great. Come on in. And they never wear a sign right? We need to discern who are spiritual dogs. You said, then what in the world are these pigs? Pigs stood for impurity. They were very impure, very unclean in the Jewish culture, the most unclean animal. Jeff, what do you think the Lord's point is? Watch. His point is that there are people, I want to be delicate here, I don't want to be accurate, there are people who have a high appetite for sin. You're like, Jeff, that's every unsaved person. And us as well. We still battle sin. But watch. There are people who have a high appetite for slop and sin and such entertainment and, and me-ism that even they will come to the house of God, but they'll come to the house of God. They don't appreciate the finer things of God. Spiritual swine will walk in the church, but all of a sudden when they realize... What's this all about? I've heard the fuss about church. And when they come, all I keep getting is, is this Bible, Bible, Bible. And God wants to have a relationship that's eternal and forgiveness in heaven. And it's through faith in Jesus by his grace. Jesus died on the cross. And you guys just keep, and you want to live for him and sacrifice for him. That's all I keep getting from you guys. I have no use for that. I don't want it. Yeah, swine. Spiritual swine. They don't want it. Would you look at verse 6? Do not give dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Hey, I'm with you. Lord, this sounds harsh. And then I remember 
on the morning he was crucified, Jesus was sent to Herod. Jesus finally talked to Pilate. But to Herod, he did not say literally one word, not one word to Herod. Herod wanted a show. Herod wanted to see a miracle. Jesus wouldn't talk to him. Jesus told his disciples, when you go into a village and that's, that village rejects the message of the gospel, then you shake the dust off of you and you exit. And the dust off of you will be a testimony. You had a chance. You heard the gospel. You rejected it. We're moving on. And they literally did that. And the Lord would pronounce judgment on some places that saw much evidence for the gospel and for him being the Messiah. And they just rejected it. And hell will be worse for those people. So we're not talking about just unsaved people here. We're talking about those who want to damage and those who just honestly don't care about the things of God, couldn't care less. So I'm going to ask, I'm getting ready to hit our last thought this morning, but if you were to up here, do not give dogs what is holy and your pearls. And you were to say, all right, write down, what do you think this what is holy is? And what are these pearls that we're not supposed to give? What does that stand for? A traditional one through the centuries from the church has been this. Communion. And that's what we do here. I don't know who's saved or not, but when we have communion, we encourage, if you are not a follower of Jesus, if you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, don't eat that wafer and don't drink of that cup. Why? Listen. When we do that, we're celebrating the broken body in this wafer. We're celebrating the shed blood of Christ in this cup. If you have rejected Christ, you've not yet received him as your Savior, then you don't need to be partaking of that which celebrates him. We're not going to give that to you. You need to sit on the sideline. Jeff, what do you think this means? This is going to sound more harsh. I think if we study verse 6, listen. If we're just constantly being lured into endless debates about the Bible and over here and over there and back and forth and back and forth with people who are doing nothing but critiquing and knifing and cutting and, and playing down and, and actually being highly disgusted at the gospel, then eventually you know what you need to do? If you've been talking about that and that and that and that and you've never got around to the gospel itself, offer them the gospel and if all they still want to do is debate the Bible, cut them off, move on. God may win them through someone else, but apparently it's not you. If you just keep doing this, I'll go further. We plead with folks and we plead with folks, but sometimes I think the Lord would have us say, hey, listen, you've offered the gospel, you've pleaded with them for a spiritual decision, they're not going to get it. Stop casting your pearls before them. Stop throwing them the holy things, move on. They don't want it we need to discern and then lastly is assisting believers assisting believers verse 5 you hypocrite first take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye is this not true verse 5 is very clear there is a time to speak to other people about sin I'm checking my time now here's where, as I say this, there's going to be some folks here this morning that we're going to want to analyze our personality. That's not my personality. I'm not here to talk about personalities. I'm a non-confrontational person. I'm not here to talk about personalities. Guys, y'all know that we're called to do this. You say, what are we called to do? We're actually called there is a time and in a right spirit to talk to people about their sin. And there's a time for people to talk to us about our sin. 
It's one of the purposes of the church. It's one of the purposes of the church gathering. Now, I want you to think, if you were to actually do that, what would this require? What does verse 5 call for? I'm going to have you write down four things that verse 5 calls for for us to even be able to fulfill it. Number one, it requires a humility for us to judge ourselves. First, we've got to get the log out of our own eye. Man, ours is worse. Ours is worse. Lord, I need you through in the word of God and through confession and time and prayer with, with the Holy Spirit evaluating me. We need to get the log out of our own eye. It's going to take some humility to judge ourselves. After that, it's actually going to take, again, with the right spirit, to discern what God shows us in those who are close to us in the Christian walk. We need to discern, and we will spot sin from time to time. And I get it. As I'm, I'm, I'm saying this, somebody's thinking, this is totally undoing everything that was said in the first two points. No, it's not. This is the culmination and the right view of the first two points. Not just discernment. This will require an, an amazing amount of love for this person. I said it early in a joking way. If someone has something in their nose, you may not tell them. But if it's one of my family members, I'm going to tell them because I love them and I don't want them to walk around with that. Hey, you got something in your eye? Can I help you get that? It's going to take love and it is even going to take, for Graceview to be the kind of church we're supposed to be, it will take courage because they may not receive this well from us. Here's the problem, though, guys. A speck in the eye is dangerous. A speck in the eye impedes our vision of Christ. It can damage our spiritual walk because it's damaging our vision. This needs to be taken. I need it out of my life. You need it out of your life. Hold your spot there. I don't, in fact, I don't know that we will come back there. Go if you would. Last verse, Galatians 6. Some of you knew we would go there. Galatians 6, one verse. Would you flip over there just for a moment? Galatians chapter 6. So can I be clear? The opposite of a judgmental spirit is not an anything goes, hey, you live your life, let me live mine. I'll never say anything about anything that you do, no matter what it is. You'll never hear a word out of me as long as I don't hear a word out of you. That is not the opposite of a critical spirit. The opposite of a critical spirit is actually verse 1 of Galatians 6. Listen, look with me what the Bible calls for. It matches Matthew 7, verse 5. Look at it. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Read it again. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, then just ignore it. Don't ever talk about it. Just kind of bury it, move on, act like nothing. No, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual, it's not saying you're better than them, you are in a spiritual state of mind and a spiritual walk at that moment, then you restore him any spirit of gentleness, literally restores the idea of a broken bone. You treat them exactly how you would want to be treated if someone was dealing with you and your sin, and this is how we should do. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. I wrote four things about this spiritual person. This spiritual person is not currently caught up in the same sin of this other person. This spiritual person is not wallowing in sin. They have sin, but they're not wallowing in sin as a lifestyle. This person acknowledges they are susceptible at any moment to sin. They're susceptible to that sin. I'm not better than you. But this person also is willing to do something about it. And they're going to restore. In fact, verse 2 even says helping to bear the burden. I'm not just going to stand over here and let you fight it on your own. We're supposed to be in this together. My last paragraph. 
We think church discipline. You ever heard that? Church discipline. Here's how we think. Oh, that's where you vote someone out of the church membership because they refuse to get some known gross sin right. They've been approached by another person, didn't do it. They've been approached by two or three more, didn't do it. They've been approached by the whole church, and they still aren't ready to get it right and repent. They're just holding on to their sin. Watch. Acting like an unsaved person, and so the church votes them out of the membership. Guys, listen. That is the final end of church discipline, but that's not the beginning of it. That's the last resort. Matthew 7, Galatians 6, and other passages. Listen, what it's calling us, we are supposed to love each other so much that we help each other deal with our own sin. We literally get into each other's lives and help each other. Your last note. Now, warning, I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to make a request. Mike wasn't here this week. Somebody's going to do it. One, you're going to have to write small because it's two words. I apologize. I had no more lines. When you finish, we don't have to close our notebooks yet. All right? We don't have to clip all that, but just your last note. This sounds foreign, but I'm telling you, one of the main purposes of church membership is to actually invite accountability. You may be like, I don't know. Church membership is not a big deal. I don't understand it. Why would I join a church? You are inviting accountability. Can I go further? I'll give you a moment to write those two words. Say, Jeff, what's, there's other purposes. We talked about these on a recent Wednesday night. I want you to get this. This was said recently. I don't know who to attribute it to. Mike Sturgill heard it from someone. This is eye-opening. Listen. One of the reasons we joined the church, a local church, is so they can kick us out. And that's true. If I ever hit a point in my life where I have so much sin and I am unrepentant toward that sin and I am acting like an unsaved person, you need to vote me out. And that should be the spiritual slap in my face. That like, man, what have I gotten to? My Christian brothers and sisters think I'm not a Christian and apparently I have no evidence in my life and they've had, it's come to that. I'm almost done. I think sometimes some Christians intentionally keep themselves at a distance from really locking in with a local faith family. And I think with some, their mind says it's useless. But I wonder if beneath the surface what's really going on is it's safe. It's safe. See, I can slip in and slide out and I can go over here and I can go over there and they'll never know I'm not accountable. But when I actually become a member with them, now I am accountable, and they have every right to come and say, hey, we've been missing you. What's going on? Or what, what's going on in this area? Again, in a gentle spirit, in a loving spirit, in a discerning, in a humble, recognizing none of us are perfect, and it may be you talking to me one day. God, I'm, I'm finishing with this way. God is actually calling the church to live life together, get to know each other so well that we are close to each other because we can't see our own selves and you see something in me and I see something. I, I get it, man. We don't do this. We don't do this in 2020. I don't know if they did it in the 1800s. Probably not. Human nature does not want to do Galatians 6, 1 and it doesn't want to do Matthew 6, 7, 5. I get it. We don't want to do it. But that is actually the model. We are to love each other, to step into each other's lives, get to know each other. But if you never get yourself in a community with 
with our other people where they can actually know you and you know them, then neither one of us are doing what we've been called to do. We're supposed to, that's just not my personality. I just, uh, we're called for it. We're made for it. It is a dangerous place to be on the outside, floating around. Would you bow your heads just for a moment? I'm just closing here this message.